I do invite you this evening to open up God's Word to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, as we consider what I have entitled Spreading God's Fame with Our Finances. Spreading God's Fame with Our Finances. Proverbs 3 reading verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So reads the infallible, inerrant, Word of the living, holy God. Tonight, we are resuming our study in the book of Proverbs, where we're turning back again to chapter 3. The general theme of this chapter, as we learned actually three weeks ago, was what it means to be a wholehearted disciple. Or to put it in another descriptive, Proverbs chapter 3 is a portrait of thoroughgoing godliness. In our last study of this chapter, we covered the first eight verses, which centered on verses 5 and 6 as the key text, where we saw the character traits of boundless trust in God, which is trust or faith in God that is exclusive, entire, and exhaustive. The essence of such trust in the Lord is that we give no weight whatsoever to our own understanding as to the course where to take, or the situation we may be engaged in. It's with the whole heart, that is with all that we are, that we trust the Lord no matter what that may cost us. Now, understanding this as it concerns the essence of trusting God, we turn this evening to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, where our faith in God shows up in how we handle our finances. And what the wisdom of God teaches us when it comes to our finances is this. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. There are two questions I want to raise based on this passage. First, what does it mean to honor the Lord with our wealth? Second, how do we honor the Lord with our wealth. So let's notice first, what does it mean to honor the Lord with our wealth? There is no term more important to our understanding from Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 than the verb honor. The verb honor. This word comes from the Hebrew verb kabed, which means to be heavy and signifies how one is to esteem a person having value, and to declare them such where they're given social weight and prominence. So when we read in Proverbs 3 and verse 9, to honor the Lord with your wealth, the point of this imperative is that we're to make the Lord famous, as it were, by means of our money. In other words, as God's people, we're to use the money he has entrusted to us to increase his prestige and prominence in the world. Now, you might wonder, why would this be an imperative for God's people? 
Why must we be admonished as a matter of wisdom to honor the Lord with our wealth? Well, the answer is both simple and sobering. Due to the selfish, self-serving ambition of our flesh, it is far more native for us to employ our money with our own self-importance than God's glory. But to use our finances to spread our own fame in prominence is frankly foolish. Whatever our wealth may garner for our own self-importance in this world is as empty and weightless as our own shadow. Houses, clothes, cars, land, and so many other things we may gain from this world, which may make us look important to the world, has no lasting substance. As James 4.14 sums this up, What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Self-importance, then, is absolutely unsustainable. Now, when it comes to our money, it is God's fame, it is His glory that should matter most because when our finances are committed to the Lord's honor, then both the substance and effect of their investment will have eternal weight since God's glory was their end. But saying this raises a searching question which Proverbs 3 and verse 9 itself presses on us to ask. When it comes to our financial priorities, is God honored or is he slighted? Who gets first place in our monthly budget? Who gets the most glory? You see, this word in our text translated honor is also translated glory. Like in Exodus 33:18, when Moses prayed to the Lord, show us your glory. God's glory means everything to why everything is here. So when it comes to our own lives personally as God's people, 1 Corinthians 10:31, a verse of scripture we all know very well, commands us, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. In all that we do, God is to have the highest priority and the greatest prominence. No one is to carry greater weight in our lives than the Lord our God. But when it comes to our finances, does the glory of God even show up? This is the crux of Proverbs 3 and verse 9. Does anything in our financial priorities carry more weight than God? This is what it means to honor the Lord with your wealth. We use our money to spread the fame of God. But understanding what it means, we now need to consider the how-to. How do we honor the Lord? with our wealth. There are three things we need to understand from Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 in answer to this leading question. First, it is not with our wealth, but from our wealth that we honor the Lord. That's how the New American Standard translates it, and that's more literal. 
The ESV translation says it's with our wealth that we honor the Lord. But from your wealth, that is the better, that is the more literal translation. But what difference does this change in wording actually make, with or from? Well, look at it this way. I might say I'm going to honor the Lord when I pay my power bill on time, pay off my credit card, and when I take my family on vacation. These are important priorities which keep me out of trouble, and I believe they honor the Lord. Well, these things may in fact honor the Lord with your wealth, but the problem is you're not really cutting into your finances and actually taking from them money for God's glory to give away for his sake. In other words, you're not really honoring the Lord from out of your wealth. Paying your power bill on time is not taking from your finances money to be sacrificially invested for God's kingdom. You're simply doing what's necessary as it concerns your family's provision where God's glory may not enter into the equation at all. So it is from, it is out of our wealth that we honor the Lord. Not with, but from. Second, drawing the Lord from our wealth means that God gets the first and the best from our finances. God gets the first and best from our finances. Proverbs 3.9 says, It is with the first fruits, the first fruits of all your produce. The first fruits were the best of the harvest. Exodus 23.19 says, The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Applying this to our finances, we give to God our first and best. In short, the Lord comes first in our budgets, even ahead of our taxes. Third, to honor the Lord from our wealth is when we calculate not from the net but from the gross of our income, since the scripture says here, with the first fruits of all your produce. All your produce. How many Christians do you suppose dishonor God with their finances by not withholding all, by, by not only withholding all their income from Him, but by just giving Him the leftovers after we have taken care of ourselves in our monthly budgets. For many believers, they give to God like they tip a waitress at a restaurant. There's nothing sacrificial whatsoever in what they give to God. They're not cutting into and out of their finances and giving to the Lord. It's not a sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice. But according to Proverbs 3, 9, if we're truly honoring the Lord from our wealth, then we'll give to him the first cut of everything we've earned, the first fruits of all your produce. Yet to honor the Lord in this way should never be seen as a burden 
But instead, it should be seen as a privilege, as a joy. Remember what 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 says, in the matter of financially giving, God loves what kind of a giver? A cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. So think about it in this way. God our Father is entrusting His resources with us to expand the family business, which is the gospel enterprise. God is therefore placing into our care his own money, and we're investing his funds for his greater glory in the world today. And where this divine investment is supposed to show up every single week is in the local church where we belong as we give a tenth or more of our gross income to ensure, to ensure what? That the lights come on? To ensure what? That the plumbing, that, that, that we've got plumbing? To ensure first and foremost that the ministry of God's word continues where God has placed us for his glory. For those of you who have been in the new members class, you know that one of the sessions out of the 13 weeks of that class, I devote to this whole subject. To help you understand that the reason behind the tithe, the whole purpose behind the tithe, was to support the Levitical priesthood. That's right. It was to support the Levitical priesthood. In fact, I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 18. And then we're going to look at Numbers 18. And then we're going to go to the New Testament and see where the teaching in these two Old Testament passages is reflected for the church today. Deuteronomy chapter 18 Provision for priests and Levites verses 1 through 5 The Levitical priests all the tribe of Levi shall have no portion or inheritance with Israel. Now let me pause there. What do you think that's referring to? It's referring to this they were the only tribe out of the 12 that God did not give land. He did not give real estate to them, okay? Because they were not going to provide for their families by working the land. All right? That's the point. We go on here. They shall eat the Lord's food offerings as their inheritance. They shall have no inheritance among their brothers... The Lord is their inheritance as he promised them. And this shall be the priest due from the people, from those offering a sacrifice, whether an ox or a sheep, they shall give to the priest the shoulder and the two cheeks and the stomach. The first fruits of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the first fleece of your sheep, you shall give him. For the Lord your God has chosen him out of all your tribes to stand and minister in the name of the Lord 
him and his sons for all time. Now, go to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 18, where what, where what we just read in Deuteronomy becomes even clearer. Numbers chapter 18, starting at verse 19. Numbers 18, beginning at verse 19. All the holy contributions that the people of Israel present to the Lord, I give to you and to your sons and daughters with you as a perpetual due. To who? To the Levites, to the tribe of Levi. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord for you and for your offspring with you. And the Lord said to Aaron... You shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. To the Levites, and look at this, to the Levites, I have given every what? Tithe. I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for what? For their service that they do, their service where? In the tent of meeting. So that the people of Israel do not come near the tent of meeting, lest they bear sin and die. But the Levites shall do the service of the tent of meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations, and among the people of Israel they shall have no inheritance." For the tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore, I have said of them that they shall have no inheritance among the people of Israel. So where in the world did the Old Testament tithe go to? What was behind it? What was its purpose? It was to provide for the Levitical priesthood. It was meant for, designed for the Levites whose vocation and calling was in the temple, not working the land like the rest of the agrarian culture and society that Israel was. No, working in the temple, doing the work in the temple, serving the Lord in the temple. So, how were they going to provide for their families? The tithe was going to them. That's how. Now, let's go to the New Testament. Let's go to the New Testament and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 which is the context of 1 Corinthians chapters 8 and 10, is about Christian liberty. Okay, That's the larger overall context of these three chapters, Christian liberty or Christian freedom. Paul, in the opening of chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, he is making a case for the things that he is free to do. Okay, What he is free, what he's at liberty to do. And starting at verse 7, verse 7, he raises these questions. 
And they're all rhetorical. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? That is the judicial law. For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned does he, does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown, we being the ministers of the gospel, okay, that's who he's talking about. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? We've sown to you spiritual things. That's what Pastor Kurt does every week right here. I sow to you spiritual things every single week. And so to use the argument of Scripture here, is it too much for me to read material things from you? That's a rhetorical question. No, it is not. In fact, look at what Paul says right after this, verse 12. If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Hmm, a rightful claim? The word rightful is the Greek exousia, authority. I, as a pastor, as the man of God, technical term, the man of God, God's man, ministering God's word, I have an authorized claim on you, the people of God, to support me financially that out of what I'm doing, preaching the word to you, I will gain and get my livelihood. No different than the Levitical priests. It's no different. And Paul says, if others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more. You go to a restaurant, you sit down at that restaurant, you order a meal off the menu, they bring the meal to you, what are you expected to do after you finish the meal? Pay the restaurant, right? That's their rightful claim on you. You don't get it for free unless they give it to you for free. No, if you get up and leave without paying for the meal, what have you done? You have stolen, right? No, the restaurant, the owner of the restaurant, has a rightful claim on every customer that comes in there. I will serve you this food that you've ordered, but it's my right to reap from you money for the service. This is the argument that Paul is making right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, he goes on, verse 12, he says, Nevertheless, we, we being the apostles, and particularly him and Barnabas, we have not made use of this right. Now look at that. He calls it a right. This is a right. He says, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Now, that was his choice, okay? If I choose 
if I choose not to receive your, your tithe, your contributions for my livelihood, but I, but I will gain my livelihood from another sort, that's my choice. So I have the freedom to do that as a minister, but the church does not have the freedom not to give. Okay? This is what you see Paul getting at here. But he goes on, verse 13. Now look at this, verse 13, very important. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? What is Paul referring to? He's referring to what we just read out of the Old Testament. He is What these words are reflecting is what we just read out of Numbers and Deuteronomy. Now, we're not under the Old Covenant. We're under the New Covenant. So, under the New Covenant, do the ministers of God, do the under-shepherds of Christ, do they have the same right as did the Levitical priests to be supported by the people of God financially, that their livelihood comes out of this work they're doing? Well, look at verse 14. <laughs> I, don't, I don't see how plainer it can get than this. Verse 14, in the same way the Lord commanded, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. I was looking this up in my Greek New Testament because I wanted to see, hmm, how does this read, how does this read literally in the Greek New Testament? And so, so I went to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and in 1 Corinthians 9, the second clause of verse 14, reads literally, out of the gospel they continue to get their livelihood. Out of the gospel. Paul uses here the preposition ek, okay? Epsilon kappa. Ek meaning out of, all right? It can be translated from, but it's but the the, the root meaning the basic meaning is out of the gospel and then the last word is the Greek word sane. Sane which means subsistence or livelihood. It says that the Lord has commanded, okay? That's what it says. Commanded, that word also can mean ordered, ordained, that those who preach the gospel, that is those who are ordained to preach the gospel, the ministers of the gospel, in the, in the local church setting, what I do every week, my livelihood is to come out of the gospel. 
But how in the world is my livelihood going to come out of the gospel if the people of God to whom I'm preaching the gospel to are not doing what? Giving to be certain and to be sure that my livelihood is, is coming out of, coming from this labor, this service to the Lord. This is the reason you tithe. Because you see, when you take away, when, when, a, when a local church chooses to take away financially giving to support the man of God to preach the word of God, well, if the man of God has to go because there's no financial support, well, guess what goes with him? The preaching of the word of God. And that is the implication. That is the inference of this text in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It is sad and it is tragic at how many Christians, number one, they've never been taught what I've just taught you. Number two, if, if they have been taught to some degree about the importance and the command to financially give and support uh, the ministry of the word local church, they either A, don't do it at all, or B, they do it very little. And what does that say? What does it say about their heart? What does it say about how much value they put on the word of God? They put very little value. Very little. Charles Hodge, in his commentary on 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14, I want you to listen to what he said. It was a command to ministers themselves not to seek their support from secular occupations. A command. But to live of the gospel as the priests lived of the temple. This is the law of Christ, obligatory on ministers and people. On the ladder, that is on the people, on you, on the ladder to give, and on the former, that is me, to seek a support from the church and not from worldly avocations. There are circumstances under which, as the case of Paul shows, this command ceases to be binding on preachers, these are exceptions to be justified each on its own merits. The rule as a rule remains in force. If this subject were viewed in this light, both by preachers and churches, there would be little difficulty in sustaining the gospel and few ministers would be distracted by worldly pursuits. Wow. You see, by vocational ministers... They're an exception. They're not the rule. I've been a pastor for 25 years. I've never been bivocational. Never. Never. I don't intend to be. Because the Lord commands those who preach the gospel are to get their livelihood out of the gospel. That is a command. That is a command. And we see that command 
repeated in the New Testament in Galatians 6, 6 and in 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. So all of this is going back to this main point where this divine investment is supposed to show up every week is in the local church where we belong as we give a tenth or more of our gross income to ensure okay why are you giving why are you giving every week to this church to ensure the ministry of God's word continues where God has placed us for his glory and by ensuring that that continues you're ensuring that the man of God will continue and continue to fulfill his labors that God has entrusted to him to fulfill. That's huge. And sadly, tragically, so many Christians, they're never taught this. They're never taught this. They don't have a category for this. But why does all this matter? Why does it matter? Because it's our financial investment in God's kingdom, okay, that's going to keep giving throughout eternity for the glory of God. That's why all of this matters. Honoring the Lord from your wealth. Okay, returning to our text, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Let's consider one final point of our text, which is in verse 10. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. How should we understand what is apparently a divine incentive for our continued giving to God? The best way to understand this passage is to see it echoed in Luke 6.38 by the words of the Lord Jesus. Our Lord Jesus says, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. Now, what is the meaning of this statement? Okay, What's the meaning of this statement? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. Give money to God and he'll make you rich. It does not mean that. Okay, If that were the meaning, then God would not be honored. He would be used. No, Jesus is not arousing our greed. Rather, the point of these words is that if we invest for the sake of Christ, then he will give us more to invest for his sake. That's the point. Matthew Henry commented on this verse by observing, God will bless you with an increase of that which is for use, not for show, for giving away, not for hoarding. Those who do good with what they have shall have more to do more good with. Hmm. That's how God's economy works. The bottom line, what could be a greater privilege and pleasure for, for God's people than to make much of God with what he has given us? What could be a greater pleasure and privilege for the saint of God, for the Christian, than that? We live for his glory. Therefore, we give from our finances for his glory. And no matter how much we give to God, we will never exceed his resources to supply everything we need to continue giving for the spread of his fame. I will finish 
this study by looking at Philippians chapter 4. So take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. There is one scripture text in Philippians chapter 4 that is a promise of God and is a promise that every Christian who I personally know who knows this text, they stand on this promise. It's a glorious promise. But there is a context to the promise. <laughs> okay, there's a context. So starting at verse 14 of Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So Paul is reflecting back and he's saying, the Philippian church entered into a partnership with me where they were doing what? They were financially supporting the ministry of Paul. Okay, that's what he's talking about. Verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, talking about the financial gift, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Aphrodite the gifts you sent. And look at how he describes their financial gifts. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. For every, for every believer in this congregation, member or non-member, who gives week, weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, every time you give financially, you need to think of this. This is a fragrant offering. This is a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. That's how you need to look at your giving. But then look at what Paul says in verse 19. And this is the promise that we know so much about. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying to the Philippian church, the gifts you sent were a fragrant offering to God. They were a sacrifice pleasing and acceptable to him. But let me encourage you, church, let me encourage you with what you've given. God, God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You see, the context of that promise that we love so much, Philippians 4.19, the context is about financially supporting the minister of the gospel and thereby supporting the ministry of the word. That's the context. And that's the reason why I say here at the end of our study tonight, we will never exceed God's resources to supply everything we need to continue giving for the spread of his fame because he's going to supply all we need. 
all we need. All our need, God will supply according to his riches. And with what he supplies us with, well, what does he expect us to do? What does he call us to do? Give back to him. A sacrifice. A fragrant offering. Pleasing and acceptable to him. That doesn't sound like something that's a burden. Something that we should do begrudgingly. That sounds like something that you do with joy. Something you do with cheerfulness. The reason, the vast reason, that most Christians have such a problem in giving. The reason why. It comes down to this. It's a hard issue. Okay, Everything goes back to the heart. It's a hard issue. Most Christians, and I do say most, because according to the stats, most Christians don't give. They don't love God and they do not trust God with their money. That's the real issue. That's the real issue. When a Christian says to me, and I've had a Christian say this to me, a few over the years, well, pastor, I just don't have it to give. Oh, yes, you do. Oh, yes, you do. That's a lie that you're deceiving yourself with. First of all, the money is not yours. It's all come from God. Don't ever tell yourself, I don't have it to give. Oh, yes, you do. God has given it to you to give. And so our giving, listen, our giving is by faith. It's not what we're, it's not crunching the numbers and looking at the numbers on a piece of paper and saying, well, you know, it just doesn't add up. I just don't have it to give. That's not how it's done. By faith. By faith. You cut into your finances, and out of your finances, you honor the Lord. You give, you give to Him the first fruits of all your income. And you do it by faith. And you do it trusting God according to his promise that he will supply all you need. All your needs he will supply according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We trust God with everything, right? Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Okay, then, with everything that I am, not only that, with everything I have. And that means most especially with the money. And so may God give us the grace to do then what he has commanded us to do. And we can trust him for that grace. Because we have in Christ what it takes to give the fragrant offering, to give the sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to him.
Let's pray. Our Holy Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord God, for the finances that you have entrusted to us, Lord, the stewardship, truly. And we thank you, Lord, that there is never a time in the life of your people when we can dare say as an excuse to you that we just don't have it to give. You have given us everything that we need to give back to you, Lord. And so, Father, we pray that by faith, trusting in you, trusting in your promises, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name that we will be greater, more cheerful, more joyful givers, investing in what is an eternal investment and most assuredly investing in the continuance of the ministry of your word right here in this local church. Father, we pray that you will grant every grace we need, not just for those of us who are here tonight, but Father, we pray this for the entire church family of Providence Reformed Baptist Church, that you will work such grace in all our hearts, enlarging the hearts of everyone to give unto you, to honor you from our wealth with the first fruits of all our produce. These things we pray for the sake of Christ and in his name. Amen.